the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why death came from life. There's a reason why and you now forgive. Jesus is alive. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. There's a reason why our hearts can be courageous. There's a reason why the dead are made alive. There's a reason why I'm standing now forgive. Jesus is
All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. Come on. How many guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Right on. Me too. Me too. I went on, uh, took a few days of vacation this week and spent some time with my parents. Come on. Big shout out to my mom. She watches every week, every week. And, um, you know, she is my biggest fan and my best critic. So thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, and so anyways, uh, I got to spend a few days with them and what, what a great time spending, spending a few days with your parents, you know, I mean, come on. Um, if our, if your parents are uh, still alive, if you're blessed with that, then, um, we need to recognize the fact that God's word's still God's word, right? We still honor them. <laughs> They're still our mom and dad. Amen. Uh, and so I got a chance to go uh, live, live out that biblical truth this week, and it was refreshing. But I'll tell you this, I was looking forward to being here this week. It has everything to do with the song that you just heard. This series that we're in called Playlist, I just think it's, it's one of those series that you can do year after year after year. Um, you know, there's always new songs that are being written. There's things that are so anchored in God's word that you need to know about them. They're so encouraging to your faith. This is one of those songs. I don't know if you caught it, but the, the, you know, the, the theme of the song is that Jesus is risen, that the resurrection has ultimate power and authority. Uh, and today, that's kind of what we want to talk about. So this whole series is taking a song that we're introducing to you as a worship song for our church, and or we've been singing it for the last little while, and it's taking it back to God's word, and it's anchoring why we sing it based on God's word. And we have two basic principles for why we choose worship music here at New Life. Uh, number one, you know, it has to be biblically accurate and biblically sound. Okay, and I said it last week, there's a lot of cool songs out there that we would love to do, but we're not going to do them because they're cool. Uh, we're doing them because they are biblically accurate and they're biblically sound. That's one of the things that, that we, uh, we hold on to. And the second thing we hold on to when we're picking what kind of worship music that we're going to introduce here at our church, because other churches will use different music, is we want songs that are pointing us to Jesus. We want a connection with Jesus. We want a connection with God. Uh, we don't want to be singing a song where we don't even know who we're singing to. Like, we want the word Jesus to be in a song. That's awesome. And so here we have a song, Praise the King, and the theme of it is that Jesus is alive and that the resurrection is powerful and it has ultimate authority. You don't get better than this one right here. And so the whole idea today is how can I inspire you with God's word so that when our worship team comes back at the end of this sermon and they lead us in this song, that this song is sung from your lips and worshiped from your heart with more passion, with more passion than maybe any other worship song has engaged you in worship to God with a passionate heart than, than any other worship song maybe has in a long, long time. That's the ultimate goal. So I want you to track something with me about Jesus, okay? Just follow this with me. You might learn a couple of new words today as well. But just track this process with me, all right? And when we open up God's word, we find that Jesus is God. He's omniscient. I mean, just that he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all time. And then Jesus, he comes to earth, God in the form of man, right? He's incarnate. He's God in flesh. And his name then is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. 
then Jesus lives a sinless life and he becomes the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sin. And then he died and he was buried. And that's when people thought it was all over. But then something radical took place. Jesus rose again from the dead and Jesus is alive. Jesus ascended back into heaven. Then Jesus is now, he said, I'm preparing a place for you, for you and me, those who have put their faith in him. And if you've yet to do that today, my encouragement to you is don't let another day go by without faith in Christ. And then Jesus says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so that you can spend eternity with me. And then Jesus will forever be our king. That is a wonderful description of the journey that we know of, of Jesus, where he started, where he is, what he, what he did, where he is, and what will come in the future. It's wonderful, but it all hangs on this one powerful truth, the resurrection. Because if the resurrection isn't true, then none of it's true. Listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then don't call him God anymore. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, then don't trust anything that he said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then the grave has ultimate power and authority over you and me, and there is no life after death. And if Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, then he isn't preparing a heaven for us. There is no heaven. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, then he isn't the king. And if Jesus isn't the king and he didn't rise from the dead and and with an empty tomb, then there is no eternity for us with Jesus. See, everything in your faith, everything about Christianity, it hangs on this one principle, this one core doctrine called the resurrection. If the tomb is full with bones, none of it's true. So the question that you've got to ask today is what do you believe about the resurrection? And how can you you back it up with any proof that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then none of it matters. It's all obsolete. The resurrection of Jesus, guys, is the power behind our belief. The resurrection of Jesus is the reason, like the song said over and over again, there's a reason why. There's a reason why. There's a reason why. The reason why is because Jesus is alive. But the resurrection of Jesus is the power behind our belief. And it is the reason why we believe and we have hope for a future. The resurrection The resurrection of Jesus is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions and all other faiths and all other beliefs. No one has ever, you know, declared themselves to be dead for three days and rose again from the, from the grave and came back to life. No one, and there's no other faith that has an empty tomb. No other faith. Go find one. You won't find it. There is no other faith that has God who came in flesh, gave his life on the cross, and there's an empty grave. There is no other belief like that. Christianity is radically set apart from all other world religions and all other beliefs. Belief in the resurrection is essential if you're going to call yourself a Christian. Christianity isn't something that you do, it's something that you are. It's not just something that you debate, it's something that you give your whole heart to. Christianity isn't just a ticket out of hell. 
and a ticket to heaven. Christianity is an abandonment to the truth of who Jesus is. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is the belief that Jesus is alive. He's not dead in a grave someplace that we worship a risen Savior. And belief in the resurrection then is essential to even call yourself a Christian. But knowing why you have a hope in a resurrection is important for your faith. So you might believe it, but do you know why you believe it? Because if you don't know why you believe it, there's a, there's a wind of, of deception that will be coming soon to you in one form or another. And it's going to deceive you away from the truth that Jesus rose from the grave. And when you get deceived away from the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, all other issues of your faith start to quickly erode. You can call yourself whatever you want to, but you'll have no root system of belief any longer. So what is the proof of the resurrection? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you seven proofs of the resurrection. I'm going to barely give you time to write them down because I want you to do something with me this week. I want you to go to mynewlifechurch.com and I want you to go back and I want you to listen to this message. And I want you to hit pause when you're listening to it and I want you to look up the scriptures and I want you to give yourself a journey this week that's going to help you root your, your faith in the, in the fact that the resurrection is true and it is biblical and it is accurate. Here's where it all starts, though. Proof of the resurrection starts with this one critical piece, that the Bible is infallible. If you can't come to the grips of the fact that the Bible is God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Holy Spirit, through the heart of man, pinned by, the, pinned by man's hand, but inspired by God. Every word of it is accurate and every word of it is true. Just like 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 describes for us, that there is no prophet who spoke whatever words he wanted to speak with his own human intellect, but that every word that every prophet, every writer of every book of every book of the Bible wasn't a word written by them, inspired by their humanity. It was a word written by them, inspired by, pinned by the actual words of God. If you can't ground yourself first in the infallibility of God's word, then it all is going to start crumbling apart on you. Because it's in God's word that you find the biblical accurate picture of the resurrection taking place. So that's where it first starts. If you believe that the Bible is infallible, that's the first proof that the resurrection took place. Because now what you read in it is accurate. But the second piece of proof that the resurrection took place was that there were many, and when I say many, I mean many eyewitnesses. Second thing, many eyewitnesses. Here, here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 7 has to say about it. It says that he, being Jesus, he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive when Paul's writing this, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, which is one of the, the, the disciples, and then later by all the apostles. He was seen by hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. I mean, just look at it. First, it says here, here and, and not just people, but groups. So we're not talking about like two people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, and they are just collaborating their story, and that all of Christianity hinges on the fact that two people saw Jesus. It's not even hinging on the fact that 12 people saw Jesus. 
right? Because maybe even 12 of his closest disciples could carry a lie all the way to their grave, right? That now today, thousands of years later, here we are with hundreds of millions of believers in the fact that Jesus is God and that Jesus rose again from the grave. It's not just from a couple of people. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. You have the 12 here. You've got 500 there. You've got all the apostles here. I mean, you know, you got many, many, many more people than what you need to ever convict a person to be guilty of a crime in the court of law today. How can you get 500 people to all collaborate the exact same story at the exact same time that they all saw Jesus with their own eyes. So you have many, many eyewitnesses. And then the fact that 1 Corinthians 15 was written some 22 years after the resurrection. Two decades, think back 22 years ago. I wasn't even here, I was living in Alaska 22 years ago. How much of life changes over 22 years? And for Paul to still be hanging on to this and still be, you know, wrapped, wrapped into it, knowing the price of his belief was going to be his death, 22 years later, he's still preaching the same basic truth. He's all in. And to know who Paul was, Paul was an extremely educated priest of his day until he was converted to Christianity with a radical transformation, by the way, which we'll talk about in just a second. But Paul spent a good portion of his life you know, chasing down Christians who believe that Jesus rose again from the grave. He spent a large time of his life chasing them down and, you know, uh, putting them on trial, uh, terror, you know, uh, trying to get in, interrogating them, trying to get information out of them, and even killing some. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. 1 Corinthians 15, some of the evidence that he's writing about in 1 Corinthians 15 came at the end of a whip trying to get believers who saw the risen Jesus to deny the fact that they saw the risen Jesus. But they wouldn't. And so it kind of like inserted itself into Paul's heart, into his psyche, into his mind. And then later on, when he has this encounter with God, he can't deny the fact that at the end of a whip, people would not deny the truth that Jesus rose again from the grave. Oh, and let's even take it to the extreme, because we know Paul was at these moments where stones were thrown with Christians buried in the ground with only their neck and their head out of the ground, with stones being thrown at Paul's command, killing Christians who would not deny the fact that Jesus rose again from the grave and that Jesus is alive. Some of the evidence that Paul writes about comes at the end of whips and at the end of stones with dead Christians and and bruised and beat and abandoned Christians that he kicked out and he went on their own way. It was from those places. And then thirdly, the third place came from, let's go back. The third one came from Paul's personal encounter with Jesus that you find in Acts chapter 9. When he's off to persecute Christians and Jesus meets him, knocks him down onto the ground, blinds him for a few days, but speaks to him and says, Paul, why do you persecute me? Then Paul later on describes that as being, that was Jesus who met with him and talked with him and ministered to him. Paul himself saw the risen Jesus. That's the the third proof. What's the fourth proof? The fourth proof was Peter's first sermon. Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the disciples, after watching the ascension of Jesus, as Jesus ascends into heaven, he's sent to the upper room to pray and to wait 
And days later, the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Peter goes out into the street to explain what the world's going on, and he preaches this message where he powerfully communicates the resurrection. And we're talking a couple of months after the resurrection of Jesus, after the brutal death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. A couple months later, 3,000 people say, I'm going to believe in that Jesus who rose from the grave. Just a couple of months after that, where the leader had been killed brutally on a cross, and now one of the followers is preaching in the streets and thousands and thousands of people are added in a belief that Jesus rose again from the grave, I would say to you that's the fourth proof that the resurrection took place. And what's the fifth proof? There was a chief priest cover-up. So think of it this way. Think of it this way. right? The person in charge of religion of its, of its day, the person in charge of you know, formulating the thought formulating who God is, formulating you know, what God's word says about him. This chief priest, here's what happens. Guards are guarding the tomb, okay, in Matthew chapter 28. Guards are guarding the tomb of Jesus. And at night, the Bible literally says this, that an angel of the Lord shows up, is so bright, the guards see the angel, they recognize it as an angel, and then, then they, they, get, they pass out. The next thing they know is that they wake up and the massive stone that should never be able to be rolled away by one person is rolled away and the body of Jesus is gone. They're so freaked out about this that they are afraid to go talk to their Roman supervisors because the, the duty that they were giving to guard the tomb, they failed at it, so they go to the chief priests. The chief priest hears their story, is so concerned about it that he says, look, I'm going to give you money and I want to bribe you to change your story. You didn't see an angel, okay? That's not what you saw. That's not what happened. You, you guys, you fell asleep and followers of Jesus, they came and they took away the body. That's the story you're going to tell and I'm going to stick behind you with it. If, if, the, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, why does it need a chief priest cover up? Why, does the, why is it that the chief priest is so concerned about the story that the guards have said with their own personal first-hand encounter? I would say to you that part of the proof of the resurrection is that it demanded a chief priest, the highest one in control, highest one in command, to create a lie and to cover up the truth of what was taking place. You can read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 28. But what's the sixth proof that, that the resurrection is true? The sixth proof is this, and it's rare that four different writers at four different times living in four separate different places all write about the exact same thing with a description that doesn't conflict each other. The four writers of, the, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all wrote at different times. We're talking, you know, many, many years after the resurrection of Jesus, by the way, and they're not even in the same room. His, history tells us they did not write these letters together, and they weren't even writing them to the same group of people. They were writing them to four opposite different groups of people, but they all defined the exact same encounter, the, re- the, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of him, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the sixth proof. And the seventh proof, I think, is, the, is this like the nail in the coffin of, of this, uh, the evidence. And that's 10 of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Okay, 10 of the 12 disciples of Jesus, decades later, give their life for the fact that Jesus is God. Oh, and by the way, they gave their life because Jesus rose from the grave. Not just 10 of the 12, because Judas hung himself, 
John, John didn't die from the causes of, you know, the persecution he came under. So that's where 10 of the original 12, they died for this, this evidence that they saw with their own eyes that Jesus rose again from the grave. And they held on to that and they preached it and they lived it for decades until they were put on crosses upside down, until their skin was ripped off their body, right? Until they were, you know, pulled apart, you know, by tied to four different chariots of horses, you know, brutal, brutal deaths, guys, boiled in oil. And I mean, all kinds of crazy church history that tells us what happened to these men. But Paul himself gave his life for the truth that Jesus rose again from the grave. And since then, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people since that day, and still today, this very day, somebody on planet Earth has given their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Somebody is going to be martyred today because they believe that Jesus rose again from the grave. Why would people keep giving their lives for a lie? Why is that? I'm going to tell you right now, it's very, very hard to control the minds of, you know, thousands and thousands of people. It's hard. It's a hard thing. It, it, it's a full-time job that requires many, many people doing full-time work. You, we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen, but they've been, you know, in history, they've been wicked regime, regimes, you know, in history that have had to slaughter thousands and thousands of people and have to kill their own people for petty, petty rules and petty reasons for why they broke certain laws, all so that they can control people by fear. So you can get a group of people all to believe the same thing, but it's going to require you to have a heavy hand and to insert fear into people. Or it's going to require you to be one of the craziest guys who's ever walked planet Earth that has the ability to manipulate a lot of people. But Jim Jones is probably one of the craziest that ever walked and that had the ability to manipulate hundreds and hundreds of people. And he only got 909 people to commit suicide at one time. How do you get millions and millions of people to believe the exact same thing at the exact same time? I'll tell you this. Here's the big massive difference is that when you go back to the roots and the origin of the church, you find that the original 12, 10 of them gave their lives. But here's the deal. They weren't together in one group encouraging each other like, guys, hang on to the truth. There's a cause we got to hang on to. No, they were all separated individually, spread out across the foreign lands, ministering and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and that he had risen again. And they all separately gave their lives brutally for the cause of Jesus Christ. That started a ripple effect in the church, a ripple effect. And then you've got the, the Bible, the infallibility of the Bible mixed with the testimony of all the believers, mixed with the ultimate sacrifice of giving their life. There is a reason, I say to you today, there's a reason why they believed so strongly and there's a reason why they brutally gave up their lives. You wanna know the answer is? They knew as a fact that Jesus is alive. This new song, Praise the King, it could have been written by the disciples themselves. Every word of it comes straight from Scripture. Every word of this song has been, you know, passed down from one believer to the next. This song is both a declaration for living and a proclamation of hope over death. Since Jesus is alive after this sermon, we will boldly sing verses just like this, where it says, there's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. And there's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. And here's the reason, because Jesus is alive, because of the resurrection of Jesus. But there's verse two, and it says this, there's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Why? Because Jesus rose again from the grave. 
And all of that will lead then to the chorus, which will drive home the principle that praise the king. Like, praise Jesus. Why? Because he's risen. Praise Jesus. Why? Because he's alive. Praise the king. Death has been defeated because of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. That's good news. Here's the unfortunate part. The BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, in 2017 decided to do a survey in Britain. And they surveyed thousands of people to try to discover what what believers, what people that call themselves Christians and non-Christians believe about the resurrection of Jesus. And so they poise the question about the resurrection and they give people a few different choices, four to be exact. They said one of the choices is this, I believe in the resurrection and I believe in the resurrection based on a word-for-word accuracy found in the Bible. That was one of their options. I believe in the resurrection But I just don't believe that it happened literally like the Bible said that it did. That was the second option. I don't believe in the resurrection at all. Or I don't know anything about the resurrection. And I'm not really sure what I believe. Those were the four options. Here's the shocking truth. That only 57% of Christians who attend church at least once a month. Talking about you guys. Okay. 57% of you. Christians who attend church at least once a month believe that the resurrect believe the resurrection word for word as the Bible describes it. And if you're going to say to me right now, well, that's over in Britain, like it's not America. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no difference. I, I wish there was a big difference. I, I wish that I could say to you across the pond of that ocean makes a whole different group of people, but it's not. They're human and you know, they've had Christianity in their culture for a long time, just like we have. Where they're at is where we're at. And only 57% of those of you that I'm looking at right now, I'm talking to in North Platte, I'm speaking to online, those that will watch in the future, only 57% of you believe that the resurrection happened based on exactly the way the Bible said it. There's a problem with that. It's a big problem with that. If it, is, if it is the nail that holds all of the rest of biblical truth and the head of the nail says resurrection and only 57% of you believe it based on exactly the way the Bible says it, then what does the rest of our faith look like? Maybe there's a reason why we're not having victory. Maybe there's a reason why you know, we're falling short. Maybe there's a reason why faith seems defeated. Maybe there's a reason why we're not passionate about God. Because we're not wrestling with the right things here. we got to get the resurrection anchored first before there's a reason why to celebrate. Before there's a reason why to proclaim he's the king. Before there's a reason why to have hope for a future. Before there's a reason why to believe there's a purpose for tomorrow. So what happened to the other percentages? Well, here's what happened. Another 36% of Christians who attend church at least once a month, they believe the resurrection. They just don't believe that literally it happened like the Bible says. 36% of you that are listening to me right now, you believe the resurrection took place, but you just don't think it happened the way the Bible said it. Here's the problem with that. If the resurrection didn't happen the way that the Bible says it, then what you're saying is that the Bible is inaccurate about the very core of faith that needs to be held on to. And if the Bible's inaccurate about the very core of faith, then why should you believe anything else in it? 
It's ludicrous to even think that you should believe anything else about the Bible if we don't believe the accuracy about the Bible when it comes to the resurrection. You're wasting your time. I'm just trying to be truthful with you today. Don't waste your time. It's either all true or it's not true. We can't just pick and choose as we go through God's word and decide, hey, I'm going to believe this, but I'm not going to believe that. This is going to be good, but that's not going to be good. It's either all good or it's not good. And here's what happened for the last 7%. Another 7% of Christians who attend church at least once a month, they don't even believe in the resurrection. And or they just don't know. Belief in the resurrection is ultimately your choice. Okay? I got it. However, you cannot call yourself a Christian. To call yourself a Christian without the belief in the literal word-for-word account of the resurrection of the Bible is just an accurate title that you're giving yourself. You're giving yourself a title to make yourself feel good about you, but it's not going to hold any weight. So you can give your title. I can give myself the title of the President of the United States. doesn't matter. holds no weight. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you don't believe that the accuracy of God's word describes the, the resurrection word for word, it's just a false title that you've given yourself. To be a Christian literally means Christ follower. That's what the word means. I'm a Christ follower. It's not that it makes me feel good about myself. No, that's not it at all. It's a Christ follower. Follower, which by the way, the evidence of this entire message points back to there's a tremendous price to be paid by those who call themselves Christ followers. But don't listen to my opinion on it. Listen to the way God says it. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but tell me, tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all all of my preaching right now is useless. And by the way, your faith is useless. That's what God says. That's not what I say. That's what God says. God says this. If we don't believe that the resurrection of Jesus happened the way that God's word says it, then here's what your faith is. Useless. It doesn't amount to anything. That's what I said when I said the title, the title doesn't matter anymore. Because you gave yourself a false title because your faith has become useless. I don't want you to have useless faith. So from this pastor's heart to you, if the message seems like it's like bam, 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 it's because it needs to be. This is a game-changing day for some of you. And I want you today to have hope. There's hope The resurrection of Jesus is the reason why you can have hope. Listen to some of these verses really quickly about why you can have hope. You know, when we put our faith in the resurrection. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. That means we're human, right? And we're all going to decay and die. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. I love this. There's an order to it. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who, are, who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Like he did it first. There's a hope we can have that because Jesus isn't dead in the grave, nor will we be dead in the grave, but we will ascend just like he ascended one day when he calls our name and we'll go to meet him in the air. That's a powerful truth. Here's another reason why you should have hope in the resurrection 
says that the spirit in Romans 8, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. Did you catch that? The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you right now. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Wow, what, what's, that just blows my mind away. Like, that means all things are possible. That means that my faith isn't dead, that I don't believe in some empty tomb, but that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, all-powerful Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. What can stop us now? But there's even more hope. Look at this one, 1 Corinthians 15. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Which is exactly what verse 3 had to say in that passage, or in this song, when it says, there's a reason why our hearts can be courageous. There's, like, have hope. There's a reason why the dead are made alive. And there's a reason why we share his resurrection. And that's because Jesus is alive. So church today, you have a choice to make. Is your faith, faith going to be useful like 1 Corinthians 15, 13 asked? Or is it going to be useless? And to determine the difference between those two, it's this. It's simply this. You know, is your faith going to be grounded in the word-for-word truth found in the Bible today? Because if it's not, I encourage you to repent to God and say, God, I want, help me to believe. Help, God, I believe in you, but help me in my unbelief at times when I read your word and it just seems like I just don't find, you know, the accuracy there. Help me in my unbelief. That's all I'm encouraging you to pray. Help me in my unbelief and let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you. Does the resurrection of Jesus bring power and hope to your faith today? Well, Jeff, it hasn't, man. It's just kind of been like, wow, it's weird, but I mean, it's cool. I, I don't ever even know what it means for me. I'm telling you right now what it means for you. It should bring power and hope to your faith. Is the resurrection of Jesus a foundational truth that is unshakable for you? Those are questions that you need to wrestle with this week. Is the resurrection of Jesus a belief that, that, that you could, you know, that you could defend with scripture? Or is it just something that you go, well, my church believes it. Like, I don't really even know why. Is this something that you could defend? Could you go to these scriptures? Could you walk someone through all the different proofs of the resurrection? Can you go find insight in God's word for yourself? Well, that's the assignment this week. Let the resurrection of Jesus give you a reason to be passionate in your worship today. There's a reason why we should be passionate, because Jesus is alive. There's a reason why our auditorium in North Platte and here in Kearney should be filled with the voices of people proclaiming who Jesus is. And that's because he's not dead, but he is alive. So let's proclaim that these powerful truths today, let's proclaim these powerful truths today as we sing this song, Praise the King. That's what we're going to do. Please don't forget. Go back, listen to this message at mynewlifechurch.com. Get those scriptures. Take these questions at the end. Apply them to your life this week and let it change you. Let it transform you from the inside out. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray and we're all going to sing with great passion. Praise the King. Jesus, we love you. We celebrate you. We know that you're alive. Lord, I believe in you. I believe everything your word says about you, God. 
from the beginning to the end. Lord, I may not always understand it all. Uh, I strive to. Lord, I ask you many times. Lord, uh, take, take my, my lack of knowledge and turn it into wisdom. Take my pursuit of your heart and may I find the treasure. Lord, take my, um, my reading of your word where times where I'm kind of like, God, how does this all fit together? And Lord, lead me. You said that you'll be a light unto my path. You'll lead me into all truth. So Lord, I pray that for this congregation. Lead us into truth. Lead us into a passionate pursuit of you today. Let the words of this message not become useless, but may they become useful for our faith. And may that happen in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.